I'm so used to singing that song in the old way, which had, if you withdraw yourself from me. Well, we have a promise in the Word of God that he won't withdraw from us. But uh, we can grieve the Spirit and withdraw ourselves, at least in some manner, from him. Genesis chapter 40. I appreciate so much our musicians. Let's show them appreciation. Add a lot to the worship service of the Lord. Genesis chapter 40. And if you'll, we're just going to read a verse or two down beginning in verse 20. It came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants, And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Let me read this to you from the English version. On his birthday, three days later, after Joseph had interpreted the dreams of these two men, the king gave a banquet for all of his officials. And he released the wine steward and his chief, baker, and he brought them before his officials. He restored the wine steward to his former position, but he executed the chief baker. It all happened just as Joseph has said, but the wine steward never gave Joseph another thought. He forgot all about him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. You'll notice up on the board, I have titled this Unanswered Prayer and the Will of God. Has anybody here ever prayed for something and you didn't get it? You ever wanted something, really sought the Lord, really asked Him, and you just didn't get it? I know everybody can relate to that. There are things from sickness to perhaps an economic situation to perhaps a lost love or maybe a family member who is very ill, very sick, and uh, we pray for them, and the Lord took them. We have to be very careful how we pray. I remember years ago, a man said at a memorial service for a dear sister who had passed away, He said, we prayed for this sister that the Lord will heal her. And he said, I know a lot of you are disappointed, but he said, I'm here to tell you that the Lord did heal her. He healed her so well, she'll never be sick again. So you have to be careful how you pray. A lot of times when you ask the Lord for something, you don't get it. Now, this is the way it was with Joseph. Joseph's desire is to be delivered from prison and reunited with his father, with his uh, father Jacob, with his brother Benjamin, with his family in the land of Canaan. This is his prayer, and this is his hope. 
he made an impassioned request of the butler, which is the cupbearer of Pharaoh, who was in prison with Joseph, and he interpreted his dream. And he said, all I want you to do, I'm asking you to remember me when you get out of here, because the Lord has shown me that he's going to not only release you from prison, but restore you to your former position. And according to verse 14, if you still have your Bibles open, think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into dungeon. Now we have three things that I want to bring to your attention, first of all, in this study. I want to talk to you about Joseph's prayer, Joseph's plight, and Joseph's providential fate. Here are three important factors to consider. First, his prayer. He said, think on me. Comes from a Hebrew word that means to remember me with pleasant thoughts. Remember how kind I was to you. Remember that though I'm your master, because Joseph was in charge of all the prisoners, even though I was your master, I served you. And by interpreting your dream, I gave you hope. And your soon-to-be-improved conditions should bring my help that I'm giving you now to mind, that is, when it shall be well with thee. When you're a free man, remember my bonds. When you're reunited with your loved ones, remember me, who am separated from my loved ones. And he said, show kindness. He said, I'm only asking for your kindness. I'm not asking you to do anything wrong or to do anything illegal. I'm asking you to do for me what you would want me to do for you if our circumstances were reversed. I want you to make mention of me to the Pharaoh. That's the greatest kindness that you can show me because my prayer and my desire is to be out of this prison. That's his prayer. Secondly, we have his plight, he says, and this is those verses I just read from you, verses 14 and following. He says, I was stolen away. I was treated as a criminal. And I want you to notice Joseph's demeanor and attitude. What do we do when somebody does us wrong? I'm going to get them back. That is not a Christ-like attitude. That is not at all the attitude we should have. Notice Joseph, who's a wonderful, beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that in spite of the fact that every wrong had been done to him, he is very Christ-like. He's very kind. He makes no mention of his deceitful and envious brothers. And this testifies of the fact that he has no bitterness in his soul. And when Paul gave counsel to the uh, saints at Ephesus, he said this. You can read it for yourself later in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul said, look, don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, that which will help and build up others, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and quarreling, that's translated clamor, 
in the King James Version, and evil speaking, that's slander, let that be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Joseph is not bitter. He doesn't harbor revenge in his soul. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, do not avenge yourselves. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And in this uh, testimony to this uh, uh, cupbearer, he makes no mention of his mistress, Potiphar's wife, whose lie has caused his imprisonment. He doesn't mention Potiphar, her husband, whose lack of intestinal fortitude to stand up to his wife is also to blame for his imprisonment. He doesn't even name them. He doesn't mention them. And then he insists on his innocence. He said, I have committed no crime while I've been here in Egypt. I've done nothing worthy of being put in prison. And Joseph doesn't seek advancement. He only seeks liberty. That's his prayer. I want to be delivered from prison. His plight is, I've done nothing to deserve this prison. Now it's providential fate, which is found in verse 23. These two men, the butler, which is the cupbearer, and the baker, were not just cupbearers and bakers, but they were in charge of the royal cellar. They determined what Pharaoh ate and drank, and they were advisors to the Pharaoh. So Joseph, therefore, has good reason to hope that the butler, once released, would recognize the injustice that's being done to him and put in a good word to the Pharaoh for it. But it wasn't to be. It tells us in verse 23, the chief butler completely forgot Joseph, didn't remember him at all. And this ought to teach you something, my friends. And listen, this is a hard lesson to learn. But nobody can be trusted with our lives but the Lord. I don't care who you are or who your friend is or who your husband is or who your wife, you hang around me long enough. I'll let you down. You ought not be looking to me. There's only one person that won't let you down. In reality, no man cares for our souls, only the Lord. In the final analysis, only the Lord can do us good. It's the nature, it's the very nature of all human beings to think of their own welfare first. Well, when we have a group picture, we're in the picture, who's the first person we look for? Well, we look for ourselves. We look for ourselves in the picture. Where am I in there? And I've always said this, if you find a picture you like, that's the one that doesn't look a thing like you. <laughs> the ones we don't like show us to be exactly what we look like. And here's what I'm saying to you. Kindness and love is not often rewarded or repaid in this world. Don't expect this world to love you, to care for you, to reward you with kindness and love because you've been loving and kind to them or to it. This is an every man for himself world. Men do not care if you live or die. They don't care if you go broke. 
They don't care if you languish away on a sick bed. The butler is, a, is an example of this gross ingratitude that permeates the human race because of the fall into sin. This is the testimony. How many of us here today have forgotten one another? Are we concerned with the sick? How many of us have called Brother Joe Turner, who's had pneumonia? Ruby Perry, who's facing very serious surgery. Wally Haddon, who's very sick. Shirley Murphy, who's here today, has been very ill. How many of us called them? How many of us texted them? How many of us uh, sent a little card to them and said, look, I'm praying for you. I want you to know you're loved and you're missed and we're asking the Lord to raise you up. No, we're too concerned about ourselves. But brother, if you get sick and nobody calls you, you know, the Bible says to have friends, one must show himself friendly. The message of the Bible is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the world said, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. So what? I don't have time for Jesus right now. I'll I'll think about Jesus later. I got something else to do now. All Joseph said to the butler was, remember me. And I think that's the message of God the Father through his son. Don't forget me. I love you. I've given my son for you. When you take another breath, remember, I'm the one who gave it to you. When you use your knowledge and your talents to earn a paycheck, remember, I gave you those abilities, those talents, that knowledge. When you wake up every morning, remember, I gave you this new day. Are we thankful? Do we remember the Lord? I'm so thankful for the rain we've had this week. And I told the Lord, I said, I'm thankful. I read in the scripture, he causes it to rain on one city and not on another. And he's blessed us here in middle Tennessee. We haven't had nearly the terrible weather that the rest of the nation has and is currently experiencing. Do we thank the Lord? Do we remember the Lord as much as he has done for us? We ought to be going about in a spirit of thanksgiving, in a spirit of praise. Thank you, Lord. You remember the Lord Jesus said, In as much as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. What's happened in this nation? Men and women have forgotten God. We are now self-made men and self-made women. Charles Spurgeon said, A self-made man has a fool for his creator. Now, we in the United States are rich and increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. And faith in Christ is for the weak. That's for the fool. That's for the superstitious person. Only children believe in such things. The butler forgot Joseph once he got what he wanted. And the forgetfulness of the butler is the fruit of unbelief. Forgetting God is the fruit of unbelief. And forgetting the Lord leads to what? It leads to unfaithfulness. First we forget the Lord, and then we begin to be unfaithful to him. That's the fruit of forgetfulness, and forgetfulness is the fruit of unbelief. How can we forget him who has given us and is giving us so much? He not only gave us his son, he gives us our next breath. 
He gives us our homes. He gives us this nation. But we now live in a nation which has forgotten God, and all nations that forget God shall be turned into hell, Psalm 9 and verse 17. And I read this. We think we're going to get away with it, but we're not. Listen to this passage. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executes. The wicked will be snared in the work of his own hands. The heathen will be sunk down in the pit they made for somebody else. And in the net whence they hid, their foot shall be taken. You know, I remember when the Supreme Court got involved and the state courts got involved about prayer in schools. Prayer in schools. Oh, we don't want any prayer in schools. We certainly don't want the name of Jesus. Now, if you're going to have prayer, you can have a few minutes of silence, but you might offend some Muslims, or you might offend some uh, humanists, or you might offend somebody else. So we can't have prayer in schools. What's the word now in America? The word now in America is pray for our schools. Pray for our schools where a child can't go to school and just learn and have fun with his friends and learn how to be a human being for somebody coming in with a rifle and killing 25 or 30 of them. Oh, pray for our schools. Why, who are we going to pray to? The federal government? I said the other day when I saw on television, and I'm sorry that I'm getting political because I think the gospel doesn't have anything to do with politics i tell you what you do. You just live righteously. You just follow the Lord. You listen to him. You keep looking to him. You'll have enough trouble. You'll have enough trouble. You won't have to get involved in politics. And just because you're a patriot, that doesn't mean you're a Christian either. Doesn't mean that at all. And I'll tell you, my friends, the handwriting is on the wall. Can you see it? Did you understand what is happening? We have forgotten God. Right now, the United States of America... And many thousands of people are fulfilling the scriptures. When they crucified the Lord Jesus, they didn't know they were fulfilling the scriptures. When they took his coat, his cloak, and gambled for it, they didn't know they were fulfilling the scriptures. When they spat on him and mocked him and said, Hey, he saved others, he can't save himself. They didn't know they were fulfilling the scriptures. And when I look around the United States today, I see the scriptures being fulfilled so fast, it is unbelievable. Where men are marching in the streets against God and saying, this is what I will do. And I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Listen, all authority in this world is delegated authority. From the authority that parents have over their children to the authority that the mayor has, the governor has, and the president has. It's delegated authority. The original authority comes from heaven. And he will definitely hold men responsible for how they have used the authority that he's given them. And every time I see the news, and I want to make this clear this morning, I don't want one soul, not one child or one adult to be killed. I want that clear. I don't want any person to be killed. But there are like, let's say, 357 million people in this country. Right? It's probably less than 3,000 
that you see on television every day about shootings and gangs and looting. What about the other 357 million that are law-abiding citizens? Why don't we hear about that? No, the left or the liberals or people who don't believe the scriptures or don't believe God, no, they're going to put up things like it's happening everywhere, but it ain't happening everywhere. You can say ain't if you know better. It's not happening everywhere. There are 357 million probably and 99% that keep the law that are law-abiding citizens. But they're portraying this like, the, you know, the vast majority. This is why you can only trust the Lord. He's the only one to tell you the truth. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A friend will tell you the truth, and the Lord is our friend. He tells us what we are. He tells us who he is. I can see the handwriting on the wall. Can you see it? Daniel said in Daniel chapter 12, The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Are you one of the wise ones? Well, let's get back to Joseph. To be put out of prison is Joseph's prayer. His plight, he longs to be with his family in Canaan, but he sees no way to return. The man who has befriended him, the man he has befriended, rather, the man he's reached out to help, who knows what his prayer and his plight is, has forgotten him. That's his providential fate. And here's what I'm saying. Joseph's prayer goes unanswered for the time being. He's praying, Lord, get me out of here. He's praying, oh, here's a man here that maybe he'll be the means by once I get out. His prayer is unanswered. You ever had any unanswered prayer? It goes unanswered for the time being, but what a blessing it proves to be. He can't see it now, Joseph can't, but he'll understand it later. And he'll later be able to thank God for unanswered prayer. You know, if his prayer were answered right now and he was delivered from prison, number one, he wouldn't be around to advise the Pharaoh when the seven years of famine come. Number two, if his prayer was answered right now, his entire family would perish because a famine is coming and there wouldn't be any food put up for it. He wouldn't be in a position to intervene. He wouldn't be in a, in a position to intercede or to save them. There'd be no Messiah. There'd be no Messiah because there would be no Israel. You see, Israel had to stay in Egypt for 430 years. And that won't happen if Joseph's delivered from prison right now. Number four, the entire purpose of God for Abraham, including the coming into the flesh of the Son of God, would not happen if God answered Joseph's prayer right now. Unanswered prayer. Let me tell you something. Number one, our God is wise. Now we say that, but I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get you to face the reality that we need to face. Our God is wise. Number two, our God is loving. Number three, our God is sovereign. Now listen, he is in charge and he's working things out according to his predetermined plan and purpose. How do you think that the apostles and the prophets knew what was coming on the earth if God didn't show it to them? 
And he showed it to them because he knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows everything possible and everything that could happen and everything that will happen. And he's working it out according to his predetermined plan and purpose. And it always works out for the good of his people and for the glory of his name for those who trust him. So like I told you the last time I taught you, once it's been over a month ago on Joseph, the safest prayer, I don't care what people say today about prayer, the safest prayer you can pray should always end with, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now I want you to turn to this passage of scripture. We're not going to turn to many because I'd like to move along and I've determined that in this study today, we'll just stop when the time is up. Turn to 1 John. That's near the end of your New Testament, just before the book of Revelation, Jude. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John was written by John the Apostle, who wrote also the Gospel of John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. In 1 John chapter 5, he says in verse 11, This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe, that is, you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God, regardless of your situation in life. Now, folks, let's settle this. If you truly, from your heart and hearts, believe on the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. You may have messed up since you believed. You may have uh, uh, had some slips and slippers, and you may have been tossed around a lot. It's like Noah and his family. I'm sure they had some rock and roll moments when that flood was coming. Maybe some of them were thrown over here against the wall, some over here against the wall. But you know one thing? They never fell off the boat. They fell inside the boat. And that boat, that ark, is a picture of Christ. And you may be in Christ, and you may fail, and you may fall, and you may stumble, but if you're a believer, you're going to get up, confess your sins, repent, that is, turn from it, call on the Lord, and keep going. Now watch this. He says, I've written these things to you that you might know that if you believe, you have eternal life. And then he says in verse 14, now watch this, it's a very important verse. Verse 14, this is a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will. Now here's a question for you. I don't know if you can fully answer this question until you get in a situation where the Spirit brings it back to you and you ask yourself, do I really believe this? 
Can you trust the Lord to not answer your prayer if it is not according to his will? We have confidence that he hears us. We have confidence that he answers us when we ask anything according to his will. But can we trust him when we pray and he does not hear us because it is according to our will and not his? You see, unless my will is in line with God's will, my prayer will not be answered as I wish it answered. In short, we can thank the Lord if we really love him, if we really believe in him, we can thank him for unanswered prayer. James tells us a lot of times, he says when we ask the Lord, he said we don't receive it because we ask it for the wrong reason, that we might consume it upon our own lust. It's something, you know, there's a difference in what I want and what I need. Now, I know that he knows what I need. If I got everything that I've wanted in my life, I'd be in hell now. I'm thankful for unanswered prayer. I've learned to trust him that no matter what my state, I'm going to trust him. Can we thank the Lord for unanswered prayer? Joseph is going to get out of prison. He's going to get out of prison, but not now. They said, when's he going to get out of prison? He's going to get out of prison when it's God's will for him to get out of prison and not before. Now, the Lord has heard him when he prayed, and his prayer will eventually be answered because it is God's will to deliver him from prison. But for now, his prayer will not be answered. Now, I've already given you some reasons why. Now, listen to me. The Lord's timing is perfect. It always is. The scripture says, in the fullness of time, God set forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So why didn't God send his son sooner? Why didn't he send his son later? Because it was in the fullness of time. It was at the perfect time when he sent his son. And we must learn to wait on him to work his will according to his good pleasure and according to his purpose. And this is the answer to many, many things if we can learn this. What about those prayers for healing which have not been answered? This revelation that I've just given you in 1 John 5, if you'll pardon my language, it takes the intestinal, it takes the guts out of this modern idea of commanding God to this or that and the other just because I say it, just because I believe it, and just because I confess it. Somebody said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. My friend, if God said it, it's settled whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter if anybody believes it. He didn't have to have anybody around believing when he created the world. Well, I can't do anything until you believe me. I, I guarantee you he can. And I'm going to say something now that I've said many times in the past, and I'll say it again many times in the future, God willing, and I live, and that is this. I believe in the absolute sovereign will of God. And this means that God never tries to do anything. 
It's incorrect to say the Lord wants you to do this. The Lord wants you to do that. My dear friends, if God wants you to do something, he'll see that you do it. And if you wrestle against him, you'll pay for it. Just as much as if you stand in the way of a steamroller. This means that God never tries to do anything. He does it if it is his will. He's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or that we think. Ephesians 3.20. With God all things are possible. Matthew 19.26. Now I want you to listen carefully to me. He does not do it because, not because he can't do it. He does not do things because we've stopped him from doing it because of our unbelief. It is simply because he won't do it, and he won't do it because it is not according to his will. And we are to trust him whatever his will is. We are to learn to pray from the heart, thy will, not my will, but thine be done. If we ask anything that is according to his will, he hears us. We are learned to learn how to pray from the heart. Not my will, but thine be done. Do you think Joseph stopped trusting the Lord because one trial after another fell on him? How many times do you think Joseph prayed to be delivered? It may have been his prayer for years. You know, he was betrayed by his brothers when he was 17 years old. He was delivered from prison and made prime minister of Egypt until he was 30 years old. How many times do you think he prayed, oh God, deliver me. What's happening to me? Why is this happening to me? It may have been his daily prayer for years. And we only know it now because he's articulated it to a fellow prisoner. He will later learn the blessing of unanswered prayer. And you have a friend in Joseph if you have prayers that were never answered, but you have a lot of other friends. Let me tell you about a few of them as I close this morning. Moses' mother knew that the Pharaoh was going to kill her son, and she put him in a basket and pushed him out into the Nile River into the, among the bulrushes. And her, Moses' sister, her daughter, watched him. And you know the story. Moses was picked up out of the water. That's what the word Moses means, drawn from the water, by Pharaoh's daughter. And she adopted him. And Moses was in Egypt for 40 years. Then he had to escape Egypt because it was found out that he killed an Egyptian and he was in the wilderness for 40 years. He's 80 years old. And then he was called to lead Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land and to give Israel the law. And according to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 5, Moses was faithful in all of his house. He was a faithful man. His whole purpose in life was to serve God and to enter that promised land. He longed and he prayed to enter the promised land, but that prayer was denied. It was unanswered. Let me just read it to you. I'll tell you where it's found. Numbers chapter 20. God said to Moses, get thee up into this mountain 
which is in the land of Moab and over against Jericho, and behold with your eyes the land of Canaan, which I will give unto the children of Israel for a possession. And you will die, Moses, in the mount where you're going up, and you will be gathered unto your people as Aaron died in the mount Hor and was gathered unto his people. Why? God goes on to say, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah in the wilderness of Zin, because you sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. Listen now. Yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go there into the land which I give the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and Numbers chapter 20. His prayer was, oh, I can't wait till I get to that land. Promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. I can't wait. And God said, that prayer won't be answered. He's 120 years old. He's been serving God for 120 years. God said, you're not going to enter. Now, what if the Lord had answered Moses' prayer? All right? It means that somebody else would not have led Israel into the promised land. Who would have led Israel into the promised land if God had answered Moses' prayer? Well, Moses would have. And what does Moses represent? He represents the law. Who was it that led Israel into the promised land? Jesus. Did you know that the term... Joshua and Jesus are the same, same term. You, you can call your Lord Joshua if you want to. It's Iesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. The name of the person who led Israel in the promised land was Iesus, Jesus. Joshua. Do you think it's accidental that Jesus and not Moses is going to lead Israel into the promised land? The promised land is a type, is it a picture of the heavenly land promised to all believers. So must our faith be in Moses or must our faith be in Jesus? Are we going to get to heaven by following Moses or are we going to get to heaven by believing in the Lord Jesus? Because the Lord didn't answer the prayer of Moses, I have hope of entering the real promised land of which Canaan was only a type. By grace I will enter in Jesus said, I'm the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father and the Father in heaven except by me. But the Lord didn't answer Moses' prayer. So that's unanswered prayer. What about David? You know what David did? Well, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, but you know, he messed up. It said it was springtime. We all feel our vigor in the springtime, and David's house, they had mountains, hills. His, his house was up here, and he could look down the hills. If you've ever been over to Israel, they've got these hills, and you look down the hill, and you see other dwellings. He was up there one day sleeping until 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and he looked down there, and there was a beautiful woman there taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. And he said, I'm going to have her up here this evening for supper and dinner. 
And she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so he had her up, and things went from bad to worse. And in a little while, a week or so later, a month later, two months later, she sent word to David and said, I'm with child. You know what David did? David had her husband come home, tried to get him drunk and get him to go down and spend some time with his wife, and he wouldn't do it. He said, I'm ashamed to go down. All of my comrades are out fighting, and I'm here at home living it up with my wife. I can't do it. And so David told his general, when you charge that city tomorrow, you take your eye on, you put him on the front line. Why? So he'd be killed. That's why. And he was killed. He was killed. So David is an adulterer and David is a murderer. And then God, well, just when David thought everything's okay, nobody knows anything about it. It looked like I got by. There was a knock on his door. And it was a fellow named Nathan who was a good friend of David and he was a prophet. And he says, David, God knows all about what happened. And the boy, you were going to have a son by Bathsheba. The Lord's going to take him. You know what happened to David? He started praying. Oh, God, spare the boy. It was me. I did the sinning. I... But the Lord said, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. And he took David fasted day and night. His servants were worried about him. He's not eating. He's going to be emaciated. He's going to have problems. Why didn't the Lord answer David's prayer? Because the Lord will not bless sin, my friends. I don't care what you profess or what I profess. If you do wrong, you're going to be whipped by it if you belong to the Lord. You're never going to have any peace if you belong to the Lord. And so, he would not hear David's prayer because he's not going to bless adultery and murder and lies. And, but here's another reason, because the Lord had already determined who would succeed David. And it was another boy that Bathsheba would have, and they named him Solomon. God said, and when your days are fulfilled, David, when you die... And you sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after thee, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name forever. And you know what? From that point that David got in trouble with Bathsheba until the end of his life, he had nothing but one problem after another. The Lord said, I'm going to raise up evil in your own house. And David had a son that killed a brother because the brother had an adulterous affair with his sister. And then he tried to kill David and take David's throne. He had nothing but trouble because of all of that problem of disobeying the Lord. The Lord dealt with him. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. And the Lord knew what the character of the child would be that he had selected. And he would show David and he would show all believers his great mercy in spite of David's sin. He forgave him. He forgave David his sin. 
Many people sin like David, but they don't repent like David. Great revelation and blessings have come from not answering David's prayer. Let me tell you another person didn't have his prayer answered. Paul the Apostle. Paul was a Jew, you know, and he was converted. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he went everywhere preaching the gospel. And he was given great and unimaginable revelations. In fact, he was given such revelation that he was given an impediment in his flesh to keep him humble. He called it a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation given to me, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to beat me up. Lest I should be exalted above measure for this thing, I asked the Lord three times, take this from me. Take this from me. I can do so much more without this impediment, without this thorn in the flesh. The Lord said, no, I'll not answer that prayer. He prayed and he prayed for the Lord to remove the thorn in the flesh. The Lord said, no, my grace is all you need. He said, my strength, and the word strength is dunamis, the word from which we get dynamite. My strength is made perfect, made perfectly known through weakness. In other words, if we're sick or if we're ill, if we're thrown aside, if we have a problem, if we're struggling, but we keep going and we keep looking to the Lord and we keep calling on the Lord and we keep praying to the Lord, we bring him much more glory than if we never had any problems. Gary George said last week when he was here, he said there was a fellow that was wrestling with two systems of theology. And one man said, I just want to know this, which one would bring God the greater glory? Whatever brings him the greater glory, that's what he's going to do, my friend. See, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about his glory. Can we trust him when he doesn't answer our prayers? Can we trust him when everything looks like he's going backwards? Can we trust him when upside down turns right side up or right side up turns upside down? When bitter looks like sweet and sweet looks like bitter? When good is called evil and evil is called good? And that's what's happening in, our, in this country. Can we trust him when we're in intensive care and the critical care? Can we trust him when we have a heart attack or we have cancer, we have some other problems? Can we trust him then and we pray, oh God, deliver me? And he says, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Can you keep trusting even when your prayer is unanswered? Here's a man who'd been faithful to the Lord in spite of being beaten by the Jews 39 Stripes five times, beaten three times with rods, stoned three times, floated in the ocean for a night and a day because of shipwreck. That's the Apostle Paul. And why did all this happen to him? Simply because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we think in America, I'm going to have to teach about this. I may have to get away from Joseph every once in a while and teach you about this. But we think as Christians that we're delivered from everything when the very opposite is true. The Lord Jesus said, Blessed are you when men shall persecute you. Blessed are you when men shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 
We don't want to suffer. And I don't blame you, I don't either. But you know what? I have more of a reverence for God than I do for men. Whatever the Word says, that's what we're going to believe. Paul, Moses, oh Lord, I want to see the promised land. That prayer was not answered. David, let this child live. That prayer was not answered. Paul, remove this thorn in the flesh. No, my grace is sufficient for you. Why were these prayers denied? Because it was not God's will. Why? Because for Paul, for David, for Moses, it was for their spiritual good. Why? Because the Lord receives greater glory when we serve Him and when we're faithful to Him in spite of trial, in spite of trouble, in spite of sickness, in spite of disease. Why? Why again? Well, that's none of our business. (laughs) It's sinful to question the decisions of the Lord. We must learn to trust Him even when we don't understand what He's doing. And that is exactly what Joseph did. Joseph is a man that trusted God even when years of praying were denied. All right, let me close. How about our Lord Jesus Christ? When he was about to be arrested and prepared to suffer on the cross, he paid three times for deliverance, Matthew chapter 26. He went a little further, he fell on his face, and he prayed saying, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He went a second time and he prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup may not pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. He went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. The fleshly nature of our Lord Jesus Christ dreaded the judgment that was coming, not just the nails in his hands, and the spear in his side, but the great judgment of his father upon him because of the sins charged to his account, my sins and your sins. That was what he dreaded. Was his prayer answered? His prayer was not answered in the initial request, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he added, Now, do you think Jesus knew everything? The Bible says he does. There's certain things. He said, no man knows this, the day nor the hour, when I will come again, but my Father in heaven. But he knew the will of the Father in most cases. And yet, he prayed. Prayer is a mysterious thing. But I'll tell you one thing about prayer. People think that if they gang up on God, they'll get something. Let's get 5,000 people praying. Let's get 10 million people praying. Then God's got to do something. He doesn't have to do a thing. He's still God. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a single righteous man availeth much. That's in the book of James. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. One person can change the course of history. You don't have to get 10 million. My friends, prayer, one benefit of prayer is is this. 
is to make us submissive to his will. It's to, we pray and we ask the Lord for something and then we wait on him. We wait on him. Because if we ask anything that is according to his will, he hears us. But if it's not, then it's his will for us to wait on him. It's his will for us to trust him. It's his will for us to keep coming to him and saying, Lord, I trust you. Like, like, like uh, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Let's stand together. That's just a little small word about unanswered prayer and the will of God. David's prayer wasn't answered. Moses' prayer wasn't answered. Paul's prayer wasn't answered. And the Lord Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he added, not, not my will. My wife told me the other day, she said, I want you to watch something here on television. And it was on a, a program in which they were talking about healing. And they were talking about a young man that had been in a terrible, terrible wreck. I mean, it crushed his head. It really, really messed him up. Today, he's as normal as you are and I am. It's amazing. I felt his face would be disfigured and all that, but he looked good. He's now a grown man. But the lady was using a passage of Scripture about the resurrection power of Christ. And I told Lynn, I said, we do have the resurrection power of Christ, but that is not the application for that passage in this healing. I said, let me tell you where the power of God came from to heal that boy. And we reversed the film. She had saved it. We backed it up. And this is the first thing she said with tears running down her face even now, though it's been years ago. The first thing she said was, Oh, Lord, you knew this was going to happen, and it's all in your hands. You knew this was going to happen, and it's all in your hands. I'll tell you something. When you learn to submit to him, you get a lot more of what you want. <laughs> I don't know why he works it that way, but he does. He's going to have his way, and I'm going to learn to submit to him. If you do it his way, what was the first song we sang today? Trust and obey. <laughs> but there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's as plain as I can put it. You knew this was going to happen. You think anything's accidental with God? Works all things after his own will. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand and say unto him, What doest thou? Whatsoever the Lord purposes in heaven and earth and in the deep places, that he did. He knows everything. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is telling us what's going to happen before it gets here. Can we trust him? So you got a prophecy in your own life. I mean, he knows about you. He knows how you're going to leave here. He knows what everything's going to happen to you while you're here. How are you going to respond to him? Are you going to be kicking every moment? Or are you going to get in his word and bow the knee of your heart and say, Oh, Lord, 
Help me, give me grace that I might be faithful to you and serve you and glorify you even in the midst of these trials. Oh, that's what gives glory to God. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. May the Lord help us in these days of this namesy, pamsy Christianity where we have little sermonettes for little Christianettes. May God help us to be faithful and stand for something, stand for someone, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to bend with the trend that's in this nation. We might get put in jail for it. That's all right. We're going to stand for the Word of God. Are you? Some of my grandchildren, they're going to see things in this world. I probably won't see them. I'll be gone. They're going to see some things. Maybe they'll remember this message that I preached today. If you don't stand for the Lord, if you don't stand for the Lord, you really never had anything to start with. Let's sing. And thank the Lord for his word. Where's our safe place and our hiding place? It's under the blood of Jesus. It's up on the floor. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe by the angel Under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in Him. Father, I call upon you in one last time today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for your precious and holy word. I thank you, Lord, for every single soul that is here this morning. I pray your blessings upon them. I pray that you will give them the strength to stand when others compromise. They will look unto the Lord Jesus Christ and say, how can I do this thing against him who died for me? I'll stand for him by his grace. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness of sins. All of us have failed you so many times. We've failed you every single day. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Thank you, Lord, for your infinite forgiveness. And now I pray, Lord, that you'll bless us as we part from this place, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified, and that you will work in us that which pleases you to the glory of him who loved us and gave himself for us, even our Lord Jesus.